because we are going to just continue to pick right back up where we left off in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. As you're turning to Romans chapter 7, if you've been, uh, have been with us or if you've been picking back up, listening online or however, if not, you're hearing for the first time, let me catch you up a little bit on where we've been. We're in section 3 of the book of Romans. Section 3 deals with sanctification. And as we take a look at sanctification, um, or the, 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 the word for that is hagios, meaning made holy by God in a believer's life. We've been made holy. We've also know in previous studies that we have been justified, made righteous uh, by faith alone in Christ alone. And, uh, and not only were we made righteous, justified, but we were also made holy, sanctified. Now with that, that change that took place in your life, there now needs to be a transformation taking place in your life that the Lord will be doing in you. And there's that change that we have made a decision. We've done an about face from the old life, and we are now following Christ as a new creation. And that new creation, that justified position, that sanctification position is a position that the Lord does the work and puts us in. There's nothing we can earn or do or say or to earn our uh, to earn to be righteous or be earned to be holy. God does that work by putting our faith in Christ alone, uh, period. And so once we get that settled in our mind that you can't earn it, you can't do anything for it, now you can enjoy your walk with the Lord and allow him to do that transformation that he wants to do in your life. And that has to be worked out practically. He puts you positionally in the family of God. Now he's going to, now our Heavenly Father is going to do a work in us like a father with his children going to train them up and to help them grow in the knowledge and understanding of how to live their life. And God's going to do the same thing for you and I. We're positionally, we're in the family of God. Now God is going to do a work in you and I Practically, And that is what chapters 6 and 7 are all about in the book of Romans. And Paul here in chapter 7 is in this conflict and he's revealing this conflict, this struggle of trying to personally apply all these truths that he lined out in the previous chapters for us is now being really real with us and saying how difficult it can be to live this Christian life. And as God is working out these truths, and transforming his own life. See, we know what to do. We've learned that. We know what to do. It's been this clearly outlined in the book of Romans so far. The challenge for us is how do we do them? How do we live it out practically in a day-to-day -day life as a Christian? Even as Apostle Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament apart, you know, putting the Gospels aside, here's Apostle Paul that God is used in a mighty way to write incredible things for you and I to understand and learn what the, to learn and to live as a Christian and even with all of this he says in even verse 24 of chapter 7 oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death you know he, he's very real very, very real to us 
So it's not just you and I that struggle on days and say, oh, Lord, why do I do the things that I do and I don't do the things I know I'm supposed to be doing? Oh, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself working in through and around and on top and, and cover us and smother us in his power to do the things practically that God has called us to do and to be that transform, to transformation to take place. A person can know the truths of God. Oh, they know the scripture. Some can even quote it word for word. But to apply those truths in one's life is another matter. It can bring intense problems within a person's life who's speaking it, but they don't do it. It brings tremendous conflict within their lives. Because it doesn't affect just their life, does it? When we sit there and say one thing and do something different, it doesn't just affect the struggles and conflict within your own life. It will affect everyone around you as well. It never affects you. It never just affects you. It affects everyone around you. And so Paul is very clear here today. As we learned last week, Paul was dealing with the law, and he was helping us as readers of the, of the of Romans understand that they are freed from the law. And in Romans 7, 1, he was talking and speaking not only of the Mosaic law, but he was also speaking to all the law in the Old Testament, all 613 do's and don'ts that they were supposed to be following. And this man, of all men, knew what that meant to try to follow the law. We know that because we see in the scriptures that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But Paul used last week marriage relationship and as an illustration of a married woman was bound to her husband as long as he lived or until he divorced her. And so he was talking and using those as an illustration to show how the law, you're not, you have to die to the law before you can be released from the law. And the Gentiles didn't have to worry about this because the Gentiles never had that burden placed on them. And we know that, that the Gentiles were never to be under the law as the early church fathers did not impose that burden or bondage of the law. And we see that in Acts 15 verses 13 through 24. But Paul is showing the believers that death brought freedom from the law and Christians had died with Christ. And because they ha we have died with Christ, because he paid that price, we have died with him on that cross, that we are now freed from the law. Just like the Jewish believers were freed from the law now. They were under grace, not under the law. They were not under the laws of the Old Testament. Now they're under a new relationship called grace in the New Testament. And freed from the Old Covenant gave them the ability to now see things the way God intended them to be. And that we were to just keep our eyes on our Savior and allow by grace him to do a work in their lives now that they're saved. They've been changed, converted, and made new. Now God gave the law to show man his sin. That's why God revealed the, the law. And it, not only to show that we had sin in our lives, but it's also to condemn him, to say, this is wrong, you must change, this is not how you are to live. And this is my law. Now as 
we find that as soon as we see in the scripture here, and it's very clear to us, as soon as someone says something that goes against what you want and puts down a law, it's amazing how we react. It reveals the heart of that person. And so God did put down the law to reveal to man and woman their sin and to condemn them. The law revealed our failure in us, the sinful nature, and how everyone around us that we cannot live up to and meet God's standards in the law. It was impossible. And how we needed a savior to be saved. And today, Paul will explain the truth of the law. Not, not only that we were freed from the law, but now Paul moves into here's the truths of the law that he was given. They were given. And the results for us is that we are going to be convicted of sin by the law. These truths will convict you and I of our sin by that law and how important that is in our lives. So if you would please, let's Romans 7, and we're going to pick right back up here in verse 7, and we're going to actually probably go to verse 13, but we'll see, and but we'll read down to at least that far. For what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all the matter of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now, I know that is pretty straightforward, and you have, don't need any explanation whatsoever on that. No, I'm just kidding. After about 30 to 40 times reading through this, trust me, you might get uh, some insights of what the Lord was trying to get across here. So let's take this through verse by verse so we understand what it is. After reading this multiple times, it will come and bring clarity here for us. Because one of the things we see right here in verse 7 it says, what shall we say then? So Paul immediately is going to bring one of the questions that he has probably been posed to or brought to his attention. And when he wrote this, he was going to answer that question. So if, if we're free from the law, we don't need the law. And there's, it's, well, it must be then is law sin and we're not supposed to touch it? Is it, is it one of those no touchy things now? He says, certainly not. That's not the point. The point is, is that I would not have known sin except through the law. The law is very important. It's very good. We know in the scripture, Romans 3.20, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 4.15, we, we saw that where there was no law, there is no transgression. So Paul was answering this question that readers would be having. And that question would be, what good is the law if we don't need it anymore? Sounds like it's sin. We shouldn't be touching it. Is that what you mean by this? And Paul made it clear, certainly not. You don't throw it out. You don't ignore it. The, the law is good. It's right. 
just sin. And if you follow that train of thought, we, we can understand how someone could come to that conclusion. But Paul insisted that we must die to the law if we will bear fruit to God. And we saw that in verse 4 last week. And he says, Paul says, I, I would not have known sin except through the law. See, the law is like an x-ray. The x-ray sits there and the machine just zeroes in inside you to see what was happening inside your life, inside your body. And that x-ray brings light to what is going on that you cannot see because outwardly you can't see it. But inwardly, the x-ray machine, the law reveals what's going on inside you. And when that x-ray brings clarity, we might may have had these things inside that we're not to, to see. We see in there like, where is that? And why is this there? And why is that cancer growing? And why is that, that thing that's not, not that normal? It's not supposed to be there. Well, we don't blame the x-ray machine for the, the lump inside you, do we? You don't walk out of the x-ray machine. I've got a lump. I'm going to blame the x-ray machine and the x-ray technician for even doing the x-ray. No. People do that, but that is not the way it works. The x-ray technician, the x-ray machine is just to bring light to what you can't see what's happening within you. And that's what the law does for you and I. Remember having an unexpected, unexplainable emergency take place not too long ago. And they had to do some serious body scanning to figure out what was going on. And still, God miraculously healed me because he couldn't figure out. No one could figure out what happened. But in that process, it revealed that I had a fatty liver. I didn't know I had a fatty liver. I didn't know my liver was a problem. But the x-ray brought light to the fact that I had a problem. The question is, was I going to blame the technician and the doctor for revealing it to me? How dare you reveal that to me, that I have a fatty liver? I could have. I could have gone into denial and blamed. That must not be right. That's not true. Machine's wrong. Get it recalibrated. I mean, we do all kinds of things. But no, you could ex I, I can embrace what was revealed to me. And then I can make a decision to change course on how I live to bring health back to my liver because of the x-ray machine. See, Paul says, for I would not have known covetousness that was in his life unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, if you ponder on that, think about that. Paul, you had a problem with covetousness. What kind of covetousness issue did you have? He had a problem of wanting to be prominent. He wanted to, to be in a position of power over the people in the religious life. I want to teach, and I want to this, and I want to be here, and I want to be able to guide and tell people what to do scripturally. He was part of the Sanhedrin, remember? He was part of that 71 uh, elite uh, Supreme Court, as they say in the uh, Jewish faith. He worked his way up to that. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he loved being in that position. In 
And so he recognized in this prior to his conversion that he had a problem with covetousness. And it's interesting that he used, of the Ten Commandments, he used the last one and not the first nine. Why is that? Well, it's because covetousness is the only one of the ten that speaks to the inward man, the attitude of a person. Versus the other nine are all exteriors. Did you know that? And because he brings this attention to the inward attitude of the person and not the outward action like the other nine, the inward attitude of the covetous leads to the breakdown or the breaking of the other commandments. Did you know that? So you can have this inward issue that no one can see until it comes to light in the outward action because covetous will start in the mind and the heart of a person and eventually it will play out in the other nine. Just takes time. Just listen to the words. Listen to their act. Watch their actions. Just watch to see what kind of fruit will bear from the heart of a person who covets, like Paul, to be in a prominent position of authority. It's fascinating. But Paul's being very real this week. Very real to us this week because in Exodus 20, verse 17, of all of them, he uses covetousness to bring. Now, what example do we need? We see that the law brings light like an x-ray. It brings light in the subtle, insidious sin of covetousness inwardly that most people would never recognize or deal with in their own lives because we don't even recognize it. It's like cancer. It's growing in there. You don't know it. It's starting to, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I'm, I'm losing weight. I'm doing this. I'm, I've got pains I didn't know about. My, my, love, my blood levels, all these indications, something's not right. But I don't, I don't recognize it. My loved ones recognize it. My friends recognize it. Even strangers even recognize something's not right inside you. But for some reason, we have a tendency to ignore the pain. Ignore the things that seem to not quite right that's coming out of your mouth or your eyes. So what happens is, is like the young ruler we see in Mark 10 verses 17 through 27 is a perfect example for us today. Here we are, this, this rich young ruler, he had everything. The looks, the smarts, the money, you name it. Morally, a very good man. Morally, solid. Nothing, no obvious sins at all. He didn't, he didn't he go down the, the Ten Commandments, he even presented to Jesus. He even presented the fact that he would, he, he's kept all the commandments. He followed the law. He hasn't broken any of these things. Jesus knows, and he goes right to the Tenth Commandment and addresses the root of the problem, which was the inner man. Because he came to Jesus and said, how can I inherit eternal life? I've got it all. I've done everything the law has done. I've, I know the law, man. I know the words. I haven't robbed anybody. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't... I have no adulterous relationship. I, I am morally, outwardly solid. But he still was empty. Still something wasn't right. And he knew he had to ask Jesus, how can I inherit? 
whom Jesus addressed this inward sin. Because it is sin. And he, by, he asked this young man to sell his goods and give to the poor. And the man went away in great sorrow because it revealed to him what a sinner he really was. Jesus said, no. Did he? Did he say no? He just presented the law. And the law completely shined the light of what was going on in his heart, which was covetousness for the things that he had. He was a rich young ruler. And God said, the covetousness starts by, are you willing to die of self and to give to others? And he wasn't willing. Instead of admitting his sin, confessing that sin, he rejected Christ and went away unconverted. No change in that. But Paul continues here in verse 8 and he says, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So we see not only the first truth, the first truth of the law was the law reveals sin, verse 7. The first truth is the law reveals sin. Here in this verse, we see the second truth of the law, and that the law steers up sin in us. The law brings and stirs up sin. Paul highlights here, he says, Paul describes the human reality here when the warning, don't do that, or don't walk on the grass, the law is presented immediately what the scripture is true in reality for you and I as a human being is we want to walk on the grass and we want to do it anyway. Because it stirs up the sinful nature within a person. That's what authority will do to you in life. It causes us to become this call to action in and because of our sinful nature, our rebellious hearts, it's, it, it isn't the fault of the commandment. It's not the fault of the law. It's not the fault of the, the person in a position of authority telling you what the law is or the, the boundaries are for you. It doesn't matter. They're not the ones at fault. It's you and me that has this rebellious heart that's going to do it anyway. Because the law steers up all manner of evil desires within us. Think about the American history, the prohibition. No one's going to have alcohol. You should read the history of what goes on between Canada and the New York and the smuggling ring of getting alcohol into the United States during the pro prohibition time. You think that stopped anyone from drinking alcohol? Tell them not, you're not going to drink. They're going to do it even more. Nothing's going to stop that sinful heart. It just stirs up, the law stirs up the sinful desires that's already in the hearts of people. See, once God draws a boundary for us, we are immediately enticed to cross that boundary. Try it with your kids. <laughs> you know, some people have even tell me, well, I'm not going to give any law to my kids. They're going to freely love and just freely roam and just do whatever they want to do because I'll stir up the 
just to sin in this. Don't be so crazy, man. Law is not the problem here. Your parenting might be the problem, but it's not the law is the problem. It just brings up the sinful desires within the heart of that sinful little wicked child until they're saved. That's the way it is. But God sets these boundaries. It's not God's fault. You can't fault God. You can't fault the boundary he has set upon us. The fault is our sinful hearts. Can you imagine if he didn't, if it was lawlessness, what would happen to you and I? If there was lawlessness, there was no boundaries, no guidance, no, no warnings for us. It happens every Sunday. There's God uses me to warn us of, through the scripture. He, the Holy Spirit moves and warns us. And, and, and sometimes people can go, oh, thank you, Lord, for warning us today. Woo, I didn't know that. But that's not always true for other people. Other people say, I don't want to be. Well, how dare you? Are you being judgmental? Well, you can't say that. Well, you can do that. And I'm not going to deal with this. I, I want just to feel loved. I'm going to feel good. I didn't get goosebumps today. I felt, actually felt like I needed to change, and I don't like that feeling. It's not me. And it's not God's work. It's just the, the sinful desire of your heart. That's why I always, if you've been around me long enough, I keep telling you, just keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Because God wants to do a work in you. Let him do the work. You know, Paul understood this. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We see that in Philippians 3, 1 through 11 and Galatians 1. What a highlight of this man is following the law and following the law to the T and setting the law and, and even enforcing the law and watching and governing over people by the law. He understood, Paul understood that the, the more he studied the law, the more he realized how far he was from the truth spiritually. And that is true for you and I. The more we study the word of God, the more we realize how wretched of a man we are, a woman we are, and how much we need God in our lives and how far away we are from the spiritual truth that should be reigning in our lives and applying that practically. That's why we encourage you here. Plug into the Bible studies. Be in the word daily. Speak to God throughout the day. Allow him to do that work of transformation. Remember, keep in mind, since we have, been a, we have a sinful nature and the law is bound to stir up sin in us, that sinful nature we may have had toward another authority figure in our lives, we struggle with that parent. We struggle with that boss. We struggle with the teacher or that pastor. But we look, we, we, but we you and I must look not to rebel or grudgingly comply, but try to understand God is using that individual as a position of authority to speak truth, as long as it lines up with the scripture, speak truth into your life. And you should not rebel against that person, but to understand God is using that person in your life to help you change. That's how God works through his people. That is how you and I are to be able to raise our children is God uses us as parents to raise them up according to his way. And, you, the par and those, those kids with a sinful nature is going to rebel against you as a parent. Accept it. Receive it. Understand it. This is a good thing. This is how God works. 
And when we're in the word of God and when the word of God is being shared with you and, and someone in a position is putting you in boundaries and, and putting you in, 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 in a position where you do not want to be and do, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to rise up and rebel, which is just revealing your sinful heart, or you're going to submit and say, God, thank you for working and using that person in my life. Thank you for using your word to transform my life. That's how we respond to it. Because the authority of the law is not the problem. It's us who's the problem. It just brings light like an x-ray to us and showing us that we had sin in our life. It convicted of sin by the law. It convicted by the sin. Convicted of sin by the law. And we need to confess it and change it. And Paul says, sin taking opportunity by the commandment. See, this word opportunity in the Greek, original Greek, is a military term. It means a base of operations. So sin taking a base of operation is by the law, by the truth, by God's truth, the commandment. It's the weakness of the law isn't in the law, it is in us. It just our hearts uses that as a basis to spring forward to bring that sin out. It's got to shine light of where that basis in your life is based upon. Our hearts are so wicked that they can find opportunity for all manner of evil desire from something good, even like the law of God is so good, we can still use that for evil manner or for evil desire. Oh, how many times I've met people. Oh, the word of God, pastor, says this, and that's why I'm going to do it. I think you should read Romans 7, 8. It says, produce in me an all manner of evil desire. And you're right on track, Paul. You use these scriptures to even do it. You're right on track, as that's Paul saying. it's so important to study this right here so we do not skip over anything because the Lord wants to do a work in us and, and he even said Paul says apart from the law sin was dead it just shows how how great evil of sin is it can take something good and holy like the law and twist it and use it for every desire that you want and even though it may be evil and then he continues in verse 9. He says, I was alive once within the, without the law. Did you know that? Paul says, I was alive without the law. I had a life, man. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Oh, my goodness. See, when you don't, when you, remember before you got saved. When you were going down the road. And the speed limit said 65. You take it or leave it. It didn't really bother you. You were going 75, 80. I was just going with the flow, with the rest of the traffic. It didn't bother you whatsoever. But if you notice after you got saved, all of a sudden you were like, oh, the law says 65. I really need to be paying attention and obey the law. Because it brings light to the fact that prior to that, I could live. Sin never bothered me. It may have bothered other people, but the sin in my life didn't bother me. I had a life. 
But as soon as you got saved, because the law brought to light, you needed to change, and then you confessed that sin, and you were changed, now you no longer have that life that you could just freely live however you want to. You're dead to it. You can't live it. You can't continue uh, uh, um, repeatedly or uh, habitually be in that sin. Conviction is there, man. It convicts of sin. The law convicted of sin by the law. It will bring something to you, and you can't do it anymore. And that's what Paul is saying. I once was alive once without the law. But when the commandment, when the law came, sin revived, and I died. I had to die to that sin. I had to die to this, that, that sinful nature that was in me. It's like a child can be so innocent before they know or understand what law requires. It's true. If you raise children, you'll see. They seem so innocent until all of a sudden the parents set the law, set rules, and then all of a sudden you see the sinful nature coming up alive, rebelling against it. instruct a child not to go near the fire and that is the very thing he or she will do. And when the law was not revealed to us, we could live our life in any way and enjoy it. But when the law was revealed, all of a sudden we realized how twisted, how things can become twisted where sin warps things. We see the fact that twist love into lust, honest desires into greed, and law into promoter of sin. Why is that? It's because of the cardinal mind. Because of the cardinal mind, where it's at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Romans 8 7. But Paul continues here in verse 10, 11, he says, and we see a third truth. We see the fact that the law reveals sin. We see the fact that the law stirs up sin. Now we see the fact that the, the third law, or the third truth is that the law kills. And he says, that, and the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, a taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. So how does the law bring death to you and I? How did it kill Paul? What does he mean by that? Well, we know the law does not give life. It can only show that the sinner, that he or she is guilty and condemned. It brings death. It just shows you that what's inside your life already. But he says, the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Why? Because sin does this by deception. Sin is always looking to deceive you and I. Sin deceives us because it says, because it says, it just says, because sin falsely promises satisfaction in your life. That's one thing. Oh, that will bring satisfaction. You just go do it. Oh, it'll bring comfort. Oh, it'll bring you some joy. Everything else seems to be getting, you know, be fine with it. It shouldn't be a problem for you. Sin deceives us because sin falsely claims to have this 
adequate excuse for you to continue to do that sin in your life, even though the law says you shouldn't be doing it. The sin just sits there and gives you an excuse or justification how you can continue to live a part of your old life that you're not willing to give up. You've been deceived. Sin also can subtly come in and then sin falsely promise and escape from the punishment. Don't worry about it. If you just do it, I'll promise you won't get caught. You're smarter than the rest of them. You know how subtle sin is, how it deceives you and I, if you listen to those sins? Because for sin, taking occasion, that base of operation, that word occasion is the exact same word as we saw back in verse 8. It's the base, a military term, a base of operation. So sin takes that basis of the law and deceives you and I by saying and using the scriptures to say, oh, that really doesn't say that, or just to justify us for continuing to pursue our desires that may not be right. But it's not the law that deceives us. But it is the sin that uses the law as an occasion for rebellion. It's the basis we use to get our rebellion to do it. That is why Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, John 8.42. The truth makes us free from the deceptions of sin. That's why we study verse by verse. We want all the truth, nothing but the truth. And that is why the Holy Spirit is so important to you and I every day, throughout the day. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Come upon me. Show me, guide me, direct me in your truth. I do not want to be deceived at work. I do not want to be deceived at home. I don't want to be deceived anywhere I go. I want you, the Holy Spirit, to move and give light to what is the truth. That is why I always tell you, after you listen, take notes, go back home, be in the word, spend time, confirm in the word so you have it solidified between you and the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Sin, when followed, leads to death, not life. See, one of the Satan's greatest deception is to get you and I to think of sin as something good that an unpleasant God wants to deprive us from something. Do you really believe that God would tell me, Pastor, that I can't do this? That just seems really judgmental. If it's a loving God, would he really keep me from what I really desire? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes, if he knows it's going to destroy you. But he doesn't. But he didn't keep it for my brother or my sister. Well, that's their life. Just because he says no touchy for them, for you, doesn't mean it's no touchy for them. It's, a, it's an individual relationship here. You may be free, but God knows it's not good for them to be free to do that because it would destroy them. It's so important for us to remember that. When God warns us away from sin, we should have immediate obedience and don't touch the sin. He warns us away from something that will deceive us and ultimately kill us. Ask Adam and Eve. 
verse 12. Verse 12 and 13. We have time. And he wraps up here, Paul says, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin will produce death in me through what is good. For that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. We see a fourth and final truth here today. The fourth and final truth of the law shows that true darkness of sin. Law brings out the true sinistry, sinister, sinister, sinister of, of, of the sin. How wicked and how dark it really is. And we need that, don't we not? Do we not need to know how bad our sin really is? Why? Because if you don't see sin as God sees sin, that it's dark, it's wicked, it's sinister, then you and I are going to have to go back to that sin. We'll go back and play around and touch it or walk along the, along the line thinking, oh, I'm just going to look at it and peer to it. Eventually, you can no longer stay away from it by just looking at it and thinking about it. You'll actually end up touching it some amount of time. And so the law brings out the shows us the true darkness of sin. Paul understands how someone might take him as saying that he is against the law, but he isn't at all. He is true that we must die to sin, Romans 6, 2, and we must die to the law, Romans 7, 4, but that should not be taken to say that Paul believes that sin and law are the same thing and you should just throw it out. Live however you want to live. If it feels good, go for it. God will forgive me. It's I'm covered by grace. I can live however I want to live. Spend my money however I want to spend it. Treat people however I want to treat them. You've been deceived. It's only a matter of time you're going you're to die. But that's how the sin works. Because, but sin that it might appear sin will produce death in me through what is good. See that? Law provokes our sin nature. And this can be used for good because it does expose how deep, sinful nature we have and it exposes it. And it can be good because that advantage, what the, the advantage of the law is, is it brings out that stuff that we're just in denial or don't see or have been ignoring. And we want that law to shine clearly so that we can make a decision to repent and to walk away from it. And the power of God is going to help you do that. He does the work, though. He is doing the transformation, but you and I must make a choice to let it go. We need to sin to be very clear to us. Because if not, it's like a cancer. Spreading secretly and quietly in one's life not appearing at first, we do not realize how sick or how injured we really are until it brings death. And that's not what God wants. He wants to bring it to light to you. Why? Because he says, Paul says at the very end, that it might become exceedingly sinful. He could have called it anything else he wanted to, but notice he calls sin for what it is exceedingly sinful. 
this preacher did not sit there and say, oh, let me give uh, a seeker-friendly kind of term. I won't use sin because it might offend people. So I'll use a seeker-friendly kind of term in when I'm teaching. Or I'll just water it down and says, you know, it's not sin. It's just, it's just mishaps that happens in your life. It's just a little white lie. It's No, do what Paul does. It's exceedingly sinful. Call it the way it is and do not call it and soft it any way at all. Because if you soften it, you won't touch, you'll continue to touch it. You'll continue to allow it to dwell and to stay within your life. See sin as Paul sees it, exceedingly sinful and get it Because the problem is, when it is, when it is in us, not in the law. Sin corrupts the work or the effect of the law, so we must die to both. See, unsaved people, they know they have sin in their life. They really do. They know some things are not right, but it doesn't bother them. As long as they don't get caught and other people get over it, if it hurts them, it's no big deal to them. They're having a life. They're living their life however they desire to live. But many Christians really don't understand the true nature of sin. And we find ourselves excusing our sin and softening it in our mind like it's no big deal and people will get over it and I'll be just fine. get over something it could be worse but God condemns our sin and tries to bring light on the situation so that he can clearly reveal it to you that is not something to let linger leave it out I've exposed it with my x-ray of law it's in your life get it out and I am the surgeon Remember, until we realize how wicked sin really is, we will never want to completely oppose it and live in victory over it. We will have a tendency to say, I have no problem with it being in my body. Let it just stay there. It's no big deal to me. And then you will not experience abundant life. You will experience spiritual death. And that is why we need to be convicted of sin by the Lord. Father.